Hello dishevelled and depersonalised capitalist drones and welcome to episode 3 of the Bad Things Podcast where we enter the nauseous recycling plant of low culture and see if there's anything worth reusing. My name is Nathan Packham and I'm joined once again by the only man who has the ability and the gall to put up with me and editing this podcast simultaneously. It's Mr. Jacob Simmons. How are you doing, Mr. Simmons? I'm doing very well, thank you, Mr. Packham. Uh, How are you? I am sitting here in North London, loving life. Um, Do you have any particular life updates that you want to discuss? Anything weird happened to you over the last couple of weeks? It's been, well, because in our last episode, Grease 2, it was uh, the day before the new year. It was the 31st of (laughs) December 2019. We're now in February 2020, so... Are we are we going to talk about uh, New Year's Eve 2019 or are we are we skipping over that? What you mean when I um ran up three flights of stairs blind drunk and passed out by a coat rack? No, we can talk about that. That was a I mean in retrospect an absolutely hilarious evening. I was deeply deeply concerned at the time uh, as six of us had to carry you to a sofa. Um uh, but um <laughs> you you survived and you returned the following morning, so uh, it's yeah. all good now. I uh, woke up on a sofa in somebody else's house dressed in a full suit with no idea what was going on. I think it's a great way to start my year. I've I've never had that happen to me, so I I don't know I don't know the feeling. Is it just really bizarre? That's the first time I've ever I've ever woken up not knowing where I was and it was a little bit scary, but eventually I just found it funny. The uh the host of the party said they were the, I was the drunkest they'd ever seen anybody ever, which you found hilarious. I I would certainly say it's by a country mile the most drunk I've ever seen you, um, but that's because obviously um, we're both deeply uh, repressed people and we don't really drink that much normally. <laughs> so uh, one good thing that did happen on New Year's Eve was our recording of Greece too. It was a delight to get to record with you actually in person rather than having to deal with all this Skype and technological business that I know neither of us really are that into. Yeah, we're peeling back the curtain slightly because that was the first time we've ever been in the same room. You're now in London, I'm still in Norwich. You've been in three different places for the three different recordings of Bad Things. How do you feel as our sort of travelling, roving reporter? I have indeed been in three different places, but I do know that we've got a couple of things coming up where we are going to be in the same place. So hopefully we'll be able to just sit down microphone maybe a cup of tea and just do a record of something a couple of um aldi's own brand bourbons oh yeah i'd love to get some biscuits in for the record that'd be great um we get a secretary (laughs) one day we'll have our own office and we'll have just shelves upon shelves of shitty aldi own brand biscuits that we can tuck into whenever we like i'm looking forward to the day when we somehow ad- have advertisement and we have to make some very dodgy moral decisions <laughs> on uh, what <laughs> on what manages to get onto the podcast Look, if fox's biscuits want to sponsor me then they, they can do whatever they like ethically i'm behind it all the way now if if this is the first time that you're joining us on the podcast uh it is still only episode three so i am going to do the full spiel of what exactly yeah, bad things is but you know what once we start hitting maybe the double figures this will stop and when we've got you know the the huge uh the huge uh, listener base that we uh, <laughs> we've always pined for then i'll stop doing this this has just reminded me of uh, a, the weakest link when they had to explain the rules every single time they did the show even though there was something like 2000 episodes in 
are we going to get to that stage? Well, it's a very complicated show, you know. Anne Robinson had every right to talk about the rules every episode. <laughs> I just think once you get past a certain amount of episodes, you don't have to explain the rules anymore. That should be a rule in of itself when it comes to media. So I don't know, like you said, well, when we get to double figures, I think we should just stop. And anybody who doesn't know the rules of bad things... That's their fault. That's tough. I feel like it might be a legal requirement that they have to say the <laughs> rules every time, actually. Uh, yeah, probably. Because if, like, if you don't know the rules of Pointless, you have literally been living under a rock. <laughs> like, I don't know what you've been doing, but we won't get into that We've right already now. already got distracted. Um, so, what exactly is Bad Things? Well, this is episode three of the podcast, but if this is the first time you are listening to us, from mind-numbingly awful music to terrible TV to farcical films, this podcast will take you through some of the greatest mishaps in entertainment history as we fly through a veritable maelstrom of utter crap. I, I don't know why I wrote down veritable maelstrom to, to describe the podcast, because that is such a mouthful. You uh, you do like your grandiose descriptions when it comes to this podcast, because we opened with um, dishevelled and depersonalised <laughs> capitalist drones. One of my main aims throughout the podcast is to just make the openings even more uh, complex and ridiculous, and to really test the limits of my voice and my mouth in terms of trying to get the words out at a reasonable rate. Um, and so they're actually coherent. <laughs> We're really testing the um, the calibre of our listeners as well, that they understand all these big words, because I don't understand some of them. <laughs> Neither do I. I just think they're long and they're worth a go. But what exactly are we doing today on the podcast? Well, after our jaunt back to Rydell High and Grease 2 in Episode 2, it's time for our first ever music album review on the Bad Things podcast. So strap yourselves in for one of the most bizarre, garish and unsuccessful musical collaborations of all time as Lou Reed and Metallica team up for their 2011 effort, Lulu. Lulu, uh, effort in the script is in inverted commas, I should point out to the listeners. Oh yes, I should have given that a, a bit, 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 make it a bit more obvious my feelings towards the album. So something like, hmm, effort, I'm not so sure. Yeah. That's better. That, that, that's cutting. That's sassy. That's what the young people want. I, I am a sassy guy, so... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> You're one sassy gal. We know that much. But who the hell are Lou Reed and Metallica? Well, in case you've been living under a rock or you like music slightly less than me and Jacob, here's a potted history of both. <laughs> We're going to start off, Jacob, with, I'm sure, uh, as the Cockrock fan that you are, one of your favourite outfits, um, Metallica. So, do you want to take us through a brief history of Metallica and what the hell they've been up to for the last 40 years or so? Yeah, it's been a long time. Uh, yes, just to address your Cockrock comments, uh, it's not my sort of thing anymore. I, When I first got into music at the age of about 15, I was big into rock. Uh, I was big into sort of pop punk and stuff like Paramore, Fallout Boy, uh, that sort of thing. I also liked a bit of classic rock or cock rock. Uh, your favourites, Bon Jovi. I was a big fan of them growing up. Uh, I was a big fan of bands like ACDC and Guns N' Roses and all the classic sort of, you know, white trash, women-hating bands that, you know, the average 15-year-old just loves to pour their heart out for. And Metallica were one of my favourite bands. I think I own most of, if not all, of their albums on CD at some point. I've seen them live, which was genuinely a really good concert. I still like some of their stuff now, even though I think I've graduated a bit from that sort of music, the sort of thrashy stuff. And essentially, they started in the early 80s. I 
think their first album was 84, if I remember correctly. They started off as a, as a thrash band, uh, which is very heavy guitar, very sort of chugging, uh, head-banging stuff, which is not it's not very coherent. It's not quite screamo, but it's still not very coherent. And then as they got into sort of the mid-90s, they changed their style slightly to be more conventionally rock, to be more sort of chart-based rock, their album... Uh, the Black Album, which I think was also called Metallica. I think that was 91 that came out in. That did incredibly well. And ever since then, they've been one of the biggest selling rock artists of all time. They've had something like seven US number one albums on the bounce, which have all varied in quality, I must say. And their members have changed over the years, as these uh, as these rock bands tend to do. They've had members leave. They've had members die. But they're still very much going. They're still putting stuff out. They're still touring. And I do have a certain soft spot for them as one of my childhood bands. So, yeah, I was intrigued to give this album a listen because I, like I said, was a big fan of Metallica growing up, but had never heard about, never heard this album before because its legend was so big that I put myself off actually listening to it. I cannot stand thrash metal. (laughs) (laughs) I thought so. Uh, I thought you might have had that to say as the Prince slash Beatles fan that you have already confessed to be on this podcast. <laughs> Nothing about thrash is very appealing to you, is it? It No, I, I mean, uh, but the, the other thing is the album that you suggested I listen to for this podcast, um, which I did. I think I managed to get through three listens was the Black Album. So that was that was kind of a changing point for them. Well, from what you've said, at least. Um, moving away from that thrash style. I was slightly disgusted it's called the Black Album because it's obviously a reference <laughs> to the White Album and that's just a bit disgusting, isn't it, really? No need to uh, <laughs> no need to stomp on the grave of one of my favourite albums. Look, there, there's been plenty of albums throughout history that have been called the Black Album. Jay-Z did a Black Album, Spinal Tap did a Black Album. Have you ever heard the uh, Danger Mouse and Jay-Z album, the Grey Album? I have. Which combines the White Album with the Black Album. There's some tracks on there that are pretty good. Yeah, it's not too bad, actually. I don't think it was ever an official release, but um, yeah, it's, 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 it's decent for what I guess was a, a sort of side project from Danger Mouse after his... Uh, uh, stuff with Niles Barkley, etc., and being literally one of the biggest producers in the music industry. But anyway, back to bad music. I did well. It's not, but it's clearly like it's clearly a very well received album. But from my own personal perspective, I did not get on well with this album whatsoever. Um, we're both big pro wrestling fans, and it would it is great pro wrestling music. There's no doubt about that. Um, I don't know if Metallica and WWE have much of a relationship, but they really should. Um, I know. Well, Triple H is a big fan of Metallica. Uh, I, we won't go into the ins and outs of the wrestling now, but they I think they have been at some wrestling events. I know that some of their music was used as the theme song for a WrestleMania a couple of years ago. I think that the song, one of the songs off of that album, Sad But True, would be my wrestling entrance theme if I was a wrestler. Uh, Sad But True was actually one of the standouts for me. It's probably the third standout, I'd say. I mean, the rest of it, I just literally, I just could not get behind. <laughs> um, 
you know me, I like my music to be really well recorded, loads of space between the music, I'm a bit of an audiophile, and I just felt like everything was just clumped on top of each other, and then accompanying that was these sort of vaguely dark cosplay lyrics throughout that I just could not get behind <laughs> whatsoever. It's not everybody's cup of tea, I'll admit that, but I, I suggested that to you because I think it's one of their more varied albums, and I think there's a lot of Really? <laughs> Look, you should hear some of the stuff that came before this. Even I can't tell the difference between some of the songs. I do have some appreciation for Enter Sandman. I like the sort of the campy horror of it. And actually, at school, I almost sang Enter Sandman in a uh, in a spring concert once. Okay, but uh, pause, pause for a second. How did you end up almost singing a Metallica song? <laughs> Because uh, the previous year we had, uh, I had sung uh, with a girl uh, all the small things by Blink One Eight Two. This is not something I knew about you. Where's this singing career come from? This was year eight or year nine, I think. Wow. I think it was year nine, and then and then the same uh, sort, of the same I think guitarist approached me. It was like, oh yeah, we're gonna do it into Sandman, and like. Uh, obviously Blink-182 is like a bit heavy so like do you want to give something even heavier a go this guy came Um, to you like yeah you are the exact sort of person we want in this rock band to be fair I do think my lower register is better than my upper register but that's probably me just being biased towards myself This is again. This is not a side of you I ever knew existed I'm thrilled did you have the long hair did you have like the tats the, the broken down marriage, the alcohol problem. Were you the full rocker? Jacob, I've had the same hair since I was four years old, so no, I definitely <laughs> did not. I can't remember why I didn't end up doing it. I think I heard the song and was like, mm, that's not for me. So um, they ended up going with a female vocalist in the end. Oh, wow. Um, and that vocalist grew up to be Hayley Williams from Paramore. <laughs> Oh, I do. I love a bit of late age Paramore. I really do. I'm so excited for the new Hayley Williams that's going to come out. Oh, no, we're talking about good music again. We need to stop. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, I'll stop. And I also liked Nothing Else Matters, and then I looked it up, and it was an absolutely massive single, and I could see why. It was huge, yeah. yeah it was absolutely enormous. It's about six minutes long, which you'd think would disqualify from being a single, but people love that song. Yeah, there's a little something a little bit Led Zepp about it, I thought. Maybe I'm just sort of clumping loads of rock bands together, but I thought it was a little bit... Uh, all these white bit rock Led bands, was... they all sound the same. <laughs> Uh, it's just nice to have a change of pace, really, just from the just horror and just gump that was coming my way. Gump. Is that a word? Have I just made up a word? I've never heard that word before. I've just made up a word on the Bad Things podcast. So, yeah, Metallica, they're still going strong. I know some of my friends went and saw a performance of theirs that was played out in cinemas recently. I don't know if you were across that as well. Okay, no, I hadn't heard of that. They released a concert film a couple of years ago that's had uh, Dane DeHaan in it, which sounds like a very strange experience. I don't know if anybody's seen that. Have you? Do you know who Dane DeHaan is? 
I have absolutely no idea. Oh, okay. You sound like you're talking about a capitalist city, not a, <laughs> not sorry, a capital city, not a person. Dane Dahan. It does sound a bit like a Middle Eastern capital, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but, it yeah, really it was, does. It was a weird concert film, but it also had a plot. It was called Through the Never, and it, I've not seen it, but it looks completely bizarre. It may end up on bad things one day. Who knows? See, that's very Led Zepp as well, because I think the song remains the oh, same, okay. has some sort of okay. weird plot well, maybe going all through these it as well. White rock bands do sound the same. We'll talk a little bit more about where Metallica went after Lulu, but thank you, Jacob, for going through the sort of uh, prehistory up to Lulu. A lot of Metallica fans don't like St. Anger, but we shan't dwell on that too long. Yeah, St. Anger's n- not a good album. Uh, but that, again, may end up on a future episode of Bad Things because the story behind that album is fascinating. Are you going to make me sit through another Metallica album? <laughs> I don't think I could if I tried. But let's talk about the other collaborator in this project, a uh, an absolute rock legend, sometimes for the right reasons, sometimes for very much the wrong reasons, Mr. Lou Reed. What an absolute weirdo, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he is one of the most fascinating, captivating, twisted, mixed-up motherfuckers you will ever come across in the world of culture. This guy has gone from the highest high to the lowest low throughout his entire career. Some people love him, some people hate him. I fall somewhere in the middle. But his career and his personality are all fascinating. Lulu is just the tip of a very strange, polluted iceberg that is Lou Reed. I have so much to say about Lou Reed, so I'm going to get going by talking about uh, the debut album by the Velvet Underground and Nico, which is considered one of the most influential albums in rock music. And I think now would be a good time to listen to the opening track from that album entitled Sunday Morning. Sunday morning the dawning. It's just a restless feeling by my side. Jacob, did you get round to having a listen to some of these tracks from uh, what is often considered a top ten album in rock history? I did, yes. This is the, for those who don't know, the album with the drawing of the banana on the front. Yes, Andy Warhol, etc. Yeah, all that stuff. And it's a collaboration between Lou, Lou Reed's band, The Velvet Underground, and German... Singer? Question mark? Nico? (laughs) A massive question mark. (laughs) Some songs I really liked. I thought Sunday Morning, the one we just heard, is one of the worst opening tracks to an album I've ever heard because it's really boring. I love Sunday Morning. Nothing happens. I think the first track on an album should be punchy, grab your attention. But this just, just sort of happens for about three minutes and then it stops. I don't really get it. That might be me, I don't know. But you like this one, do you? I, I do like I mean, I... My... See, I have such mixed feelings about this album. What do I like about this album? I lo- Obviously, I like the more psychedelic tracks yeah. because that is one of... You know, psychedelia is one of my favourite genres. We've been ranting and raving about the new uh, Tame Impala album recently. Indefinitely. Uh, in, indefinitely? <laughs> uh, I might be talking about it indefinitely. <laughs> my gripes with this album, first of all, uh, much like I was talking about with Metallica, although on a much worse scale, the recording quality is absolutely horrible. Oh, this was recorded in somebody's bedroom, I think, or somebody's basement. It sounds like almost as bad as like old Scar recordings. <laughs> it is absolutely horrible. Well... 
the Velvet Underground weren't really ever successful in their lifetime. They were only ever sort of successful as a as a retrospective thing. People didn't really like them when they first came out, but it's only as their legend grew, people discovered them and were like, oh, these guys were great. But in the 60s, I don't think anybody actually ever bought the records. I love Venus in Furs as well, which is this sort of weird, dark, sadomasochistic song. Once again, the recording is horrible, <laughs> um, but it's it's a really creepy tune. Yeah. Um, no, I, I really like Venus in Furs as well. I liked All Tomorrow's Parties. That one was really good. European Sun. I don't know what the hell was going on there. <laughs> Just guff. Total rubbish. <laughs> that was absolute. What did you say, gump, earlier? Yeah, gump. That Let's was, go with gump. That was some total gump. It, it is strange because obviously I like Frank Zappa and people like that. And that that stuff is really challenging. But the problem for me here is that it's so badly recorded, this stuff, that it just is noise. Like, I don't know how long that ending is with the jangly guitars and the strings of European Sun, but it is just so tough to listen to. Yeah. Um, and also, like you, I've got my gripes with Nico as a vocalist. Oh, no, I no, ha- well, hang I on. Mean, a... she... I mean, I like Nico's vocals. Okay, oh, sorry. I've, I... <laughs> no, I've, put... I've misunderstood. I put singer in... I, I don't think they are a very good singer. I don't know if they were actually a proper singer, but for some weird reason, I really liked it. And what costumes share the poor good To all tomorrow's parties. I, I can get on board with Nico's sort of demure, cosmopolitan European vibe but only for so long. How many <laughs> tracks is she on here? Three or... F- I think it's three or four, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and I... Yeah, I zone out after a little while. <laughs> that is apparently one of the best albums in rock history. I strongly disagree and think it's massively overrated. What isn't overrated, I think, is Lou Reed's uh, double A-side from the Transformer album. First of all, we've got to talk about Perfect Day. Oh, me jacob is a stonewall five star song uh, i don't know how you got on with it uh, i guess you've heard it before uh, it's a it's almost a rock standard by this point yeah i mean i'd say a standard of pop music this is this is one of the two songs that people are going to know lou reed from and the other one is the other uh, side to this song um yeah so this song's been covered by everyone and their mum it's ridiculous I, I i think this is the best he sounds as a singer I think it's a really nice sentiment. I think the arrangement is really nice. It's a good song. I don't know if it's five stars, but it's a good song. Is it a nice sentiment, though? Because there's loads of layers to this song. You could take it on a superficial level where you say, okay, this is a straightforward love song. Or is this song about a dependency on substances uh, where the narrator can sort of only enjoy themselves and have, in inverted commas, the perfect day? through uh taking the substance i 
I, I, he's, I don't think Lou Reed's ever really explained what this song is about, uh, which I guess makes it all the better. And I mean, the vocals, depending on which interpretation you have, are either heartbreaking or really uplifting. Um, this song is awesome. Hmm. Okay, I never thought of it like that, but it is Lou Reed, so let's not rule out any substance abuse. And if we're going to talk about Perfect Day, we have to talk about the BBC promotional slash charity single, (laughs) uh, uh, which featured this song. Uh, We'll give you a little snippet now, but this is only some of the vocalists that are featured on this track. Oh, it's such a perfect day. This this was maybe the first song I ever owned on cassette. Wow. <laughs> that is something, isn't it? And it, it is so much better than all those... All, all, I, I don't want to dismiss the charitable efforts of these songs, but it's so You're much better to. than Live, Live Aid and Live Aid 2000, whatever it was. Let's not forget the worst of the worst. We are the world. Oh, we are the world. It's so bad. Can we have a little bit of that now? Is that okay? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, it's bad, isn't it? Oh, it's it's an absolute shocker. What is good about this version of Perfect Day is that they don't, they, they clearly haven't brought all the vocalists together and they all have to pretend they're happy with each other and everything's great. Everyone gets a good amount of time to sing and also they record separately, so they're probably feeling far more comfortable uh, than a, a whole mass of egos in one room trying to appear happy um, under some sort of pseudo charitable uh, name. Do you want a list of some of the people that are on this recording? Oh, let, I'll, I'll probably just make noises as you ring as you <laughs> as you list the people that are on this thing. Okay, so Lou Reed, obviously, uh, because it's a charity single, Bono is on it, of course. David Bowie, Elton John, Boyzone, Heather Small, Emmy Lou Harris, Tammy Wynette, and <laughs> Shane McGowan from the Pogues. He does not look good in this video. <laughs> He's never looked good. <laughs> Two shout-outs to give, I think. First of all, Elton John... I always remember the Elton John line because of the weird way he sort of... Uh, his intonation. He sort of says, Elida, and it really freaks me out for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want to talk about weird intonations, you just wait till we get into the meat of the review because there is a lot of weird <laughs> intonations going on. And also a shout out to Heather Small, who absolutely nails her vocal and almost, there's a brief moment you think it's going to turn into like this full gospel track. Gospel Lou Reed, wow, that would be something, wouldn't it? That would be horrible. And then the other tune from this double A side is Walk on the Wild Side, which I'm really not as keen on, and I don't know why it has such a following. Um, We'll take a quick listen, and then we'll discuss uh, 
my grievances and what Jacob uh, thinks of this track. Candy came from out on the island. In the back room, she was everybody's darling. But she never lost her head, even when she was given head. She says, hey, babe, take a walk on the wild side. Said, hey, babe, take a walk on the wild side. And the colored girls go do 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 It's fine, isn't it? Is there anything else to add, really? I think this is a perfectly nice song. It, it's We talk about songs where nothing happens. This is a song where nothing happens. But it's sort of developed a weird cult status, hasn't it? Everybody loves this song. I kind of get why it's developed a cult status. I think people are probably hanging on to these out-of-date references that are on here as maybe sort of an ironic joke. Um, I, I mean, clearly, Lou, Lou talking about the outsiders in this song, it's not like he's um, being dismissive of them at all. It's just the language of the time is not does not particularly translate well to 2020, <laughs> which we're in now. Yeah. No, it's... Um, some Yeah, like you said, some of the references are a bit outdated, but that's just Lou Reed in a nutshell. But... This is a perfectly fine pop song. It's all right. Does the job. Not much happens. It's fine. <laughs> we just have nothing to say about this song. <laughs> it's just a nice song. We should just end by saying do 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 Before Lulu even happened, Lou Reed had a whole cavalcade of controversies, weird experimental songs, bad songs. Uh, I've picked two out here that I want to talk about. One song and one album. Jacob, did you listen to a Greatest Hits or anything before we did this to sort of get an overview of Lou Reed's bizarre canon? It's so (laughs) weird. Yeah, you sent me a a couple of things to listen to, including one of his Greatest Hits. There were a few things I'd heard, a few things I hadn't. There were some tracks I really liked. There's a track called, is it Sally Can't Dance or Sally Doesn't Dance? I knew you'd love that track because <laughs> it's basically cock rock. But yeah, as, yeah, there's another. There's some more weird sort of Velvet Underground cut-off songs that are sort of almost spoken word poetry over slow guitars, and they don't really make a lot of sense. And you can just tell he's writing them because he thinks he's better than you. Uh, not my sort of thing. See, it's not really my sort of thing, but. It's it's really good for like because of you know not to uh, bring this up again but obviously I've recently moved. It's really good city music. Um, <laughs> do you have any idea how much of a wanker you sound like right now? I just sound like such a wanker, and I do apologise. Yeah, I've got the list up of the uh, compilation that I uh, listened to. My friend George was interesting because there's this weird sort of bisexual sexual repression thing going on throughout Lou's music. I don't know if you agree. Yeah, there's certainly uh, some sex. I mean, the music is very sexual. He likes his sexual, not even metaphors. Sometimes just straight up statements <laughs> did you did you listen to the gun by any chance i haven't heard the gun is it about a penis <laughs> i no it isn't it's a it's a it's like about a shooter i think unless there is oh. <laughs> sort of deep there's deep metaphors going on that i can't explain but the intonations and the spoken word of it is so strange um sometimes i'd listen to it and i'd get really behind it and sometimes i'd just be like this is just trite <laughs> 
Do you know what else is tripe? I, I think I do, because it's in the script, but yeah, it is tripe. This is a song uh, that I picked out from the compilation I listened to. Um, I mean, there's no, there's no easy way to introduce this song, really. So here is Lou Reed, I think it's a mid to late 70s track, and it's called I Wanna Be Black. I wanna be black, I wanna be a panther, have a girlfriend named Samantha, and have a stable of proxy whores. Oh, that's uh, that's a little bit out of date, isn't it? Just just a tad. <laughs> I think it was out of date when it was released. It's even more annoying because the song starts off really promisingly. There's some nice blues guitar, maybe a little bit of slide guitar in there, some driving rhythm, and then su- this will be a running theme in Lulu as well. As soon as Lou opens his mouth, it's just <laughs> horrible. <laughs> oh, I'm just reading through some of the lyrics now. Jesus wept. What the hell was he thinking? <laughs> Is it saved at all by the fact he's coming at it as a, like a white college student and not necessarily Lou Reed himself? Does that save it in any way? I mean, I know we'd be quoting it, but there's some lyrics on here I really don't feel comfortable repeating. Are you talking about the big prick lyric? No, I'm fine with that. I'm more talking about the line where he talks about fucking up the Jews. I, what? I'm not even sure I noticed this. The first, the first line is, I want to be black, have natural rhythm, shoot 20 foot of jism too, and fuck up the Jews. Jeez. Yep. And that's, it, it gets worse from there, people. This is definitely a bad thing. <laughs> yep. Just because you think you can say what you want, that doesn't make you big or clever. When you do so. And there's so many incidences of this throughout Lou Reed's career. And there's one more thing I want to mention. Lou, at the height of his wanky artistry. Jacob, what am I talking about? Uh, This is the classic Lou Reed album, Metal Machine Music. (laughs) Do we play a bit? Is Is it even worth playing a bit? Play 20 seconds, and that is plenty. There's metal machine music. Yeah. Yep. yep. Si- 64 minutes. If you think it gets better, <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't get any better. Yep, 64 minutes. It's just guitar feedback, essentially a troll before the internet existed. It's unlistenable almost straight away. It's the sort of music you want to hear in the tape modern but you absolutely do not want to be listening to this by yourself, especially not in the dark, because it's fucking annoying and it's fucking terrifying. <laughs> do you um? Do you know where this album came from? Do you know how it came about? Is this the old, the age-old issue of an artist having to uh, f- uh, to finish off a recording contract? Yeah. What a way to go! He was contractually obliged to make. <laughs> An album, he didn't want to do it, so he put out this unlistenable album, and it worked. What pisses me off the most about this album is that Pitchfork, who rarely give out anything over about a 5.9, have given Metal Machine Music 8.6 in their retrospective review of it. (sighs) 
this is why I can't trust printed media anymore. Because <laughs> everyone thinks it's clever. Everyone thinks it's cool to be like, oh, this is bad on purpose. Let's give it a really high review. No, it's bad. He doesn't even like it. Lou Reed didn't even want this to be good. Fuck you, Pitchfork. <laughs> How are you getting a full review out of this album? There's nothing to take away from it. Well, yeah, because we've we've had this suggested a few times. As I certainly have to review this, but we could. There's nothing to say. It's just noise. And there's plenty more noise to come on Lulu as well. But thankfully, more to discuss. I feel like we're on a bit of a downer here. We, <laughs> we, I sort of half can cope with Metallica. You can sort. Well, both of us can sort of half cope with Lou Reed. So so in order to bring us up, I think the, the only right thing to do is to go on a bit of a rant, uh, kind of on a similar theme. So we're going to talk about, we, I think we're going to sp- spring off each other and talk about three musical acts that everyone seems to love that we just don't. So Jacob, before we start, have you got any honourable mentions for your list who didn't quite make the cut? I struggled with this because I I know I do a podcast called Bad Things, but for a lot a majority of things I'm I'm not that offended by things that you know even artists that I generally don't like have some decent tracks. Like I'm not a massive fan of the Killers, but I think they've got some good tracks. Uh, you know, Coldplay is the classic one. I think they've got some songs that I don't mind. So I I struggled a bit. So I've only really got my three, but I know you have a whole a whole list as long as your arm of <laughs> honourable in inverted commas mentions. Just because I love ranting, that's the reason I've got <laughs> such a... So the first thing to mention, which we may have already discussed on the podcast, I'm not sure. This is not an official genre, but I made a genre in my head called corporate rock. <laughs> This is sort of a uh, capitalistic, very quite well recorded rock music with horrible synthesizers that just has no, uh, I mean, to, to use a word, has no spunk to it is the word I'm going to use. You're talking about things like Starship and yes. REO Speedwagon and Foreigner. <laughs> yes, and Chicago, Journey, yeah. Europe. Almost, but not quite the mythical genre that is Yacht Rock. Yes, there's a clear divide though. Yacht Rock is a lot more sort of R&B based, so it's just a bit cooler in my opinion. You just like Hall & Oates is what you're saying. I mean, obviously Steely Dan are in my holy trinity as well, so yeah, shout out to my boys Steely Dan. There's two acts I was going to include and then I just couldn't quite. The first one being Ed Sheeran, because I feel like a lot Mm. of people who listen to this podcast don't like Ed Sheeran as well. Yeah, I think it's it's become a bit passe to say that Ed Sheeran's boring now. Everyone knows it, but he doesn't make music to be interesting. He makes music so he can afford his massive mansion in Suffolk. So I thought he would live in a humble home, but clearly not. No, no, he, all this humble stuff is it's it's all rubbish. He's got a massive mansion. He did all right in the Yesterday film, though. It's just a shame the film wasn't actually about the Beatles. But um, yeah, and the other band I want to mention, and I I couldn't quite put them in because I like their frontman, and that is Queen. That's so controversial. Oh no! Yeah, I know. Oh, I love Queen. Love Freddie Mercury. Obviously, the Live Aid performance is like one of the best live performances in rock history but i can't stand brian may's guitar style i can't stand a lot of the subject matter of their songs it just does not do a lot for me shockingly enough they have an album called hot space and i quite like a couple of the the disco tracks off of hot space (laughs) yeah hot space is pretty good (laughs) 
No, that's fair enough. God, you, you, I know we mentioned in the first episode of this podcast that we are the same person, but I will never agree with that. I love Queen. I grew up on Queen. And also they've been wrapped up in this sort of weird patriotic thing where, like, they're the Brexit band, I feel like. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I don't think they're the Brexit band. I think they're... No, I don't think, I don't think they're the Brexit band. He, Wasn't he from Fred... Zanzibar anyway? Yeah, exactly. He's um, Yeah, he was born in Zanzibar. Very, very strange. Anyway, Jacob, do you want to tell us uh, your first pick for your uh, bands that you don't really like? My first pick is a band that everybody liked when I was growing up and I wasn't that keen on them. And I think because everybody banged on about them, it sort of added to my hatred of them. And that is the Arctic Monkeys. Oh, that is a controversial choice. Yep. They are basically worshipped amongst my generation of music fans. I think Alex Turner's a wanker. I think he's (laughs) self-obsessed, pretentious... And not even in a self-aware way, like Matty Healy from 1975. I think Alex Turner does think he's God's gift to music. And I just, I can't get behind the subject matter. It's all sort of, oh, look at me. I'm Saddam from Sheffield. And I hate his voice. And I hate that everyone likes them. And they've, they've done, like, two songs that I don't mind. And they're both off of AM, which everyone seems to hate as an album. So that makes me like it even more. <laughs> And I just I don't get them at all. They don't appeal to me. They, I know they weren't probably made for me because I like my parents, but just can't get behind them. I am not massive on them. I only the only full album I've heard is. I uh, hope I'm saying. I hope this is the correct title: Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino, which I'm sure you love as an album title. <laughs> <laughs> Look, ugh, don't get me started on Tranquility Base. It's not, it's not my thing. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> of course you did. Okay, my first pick, you've actually already mentioned them, so maybe they shouldn't have been in this list, but obviously I've gone for Coldplay. <laughs> Again, I think Coldplay is... It, I think you get just as many people who don't like them as you do do like them. It's sort of the joke in the music industry now that people hate Coldplay. There's like one song I like, and that's Violet Hill. I don't know if you've heard it. Yeah, I have heard that one. That one's all right. <laughs> That's all you can say about Coldplay in general. That's all right. Yeah, they've never made a song where I've been like, it's never changed my life. But they make perfectly passable pop music. Okay, Jacob, number two. Who's who's also managed to make your list? Number two is someone who I know you like, so I know you're going to hate me for this. This could be the end of bad things. Is it Prince? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not Prince, don't worry. It is Amy Winehouse. Um, I... That's fine. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's fuming at the moment. I I'm definitely not... I'm not, like, massive on Winehouse. Like, it's... You like a bit of Winehouse, don't you? It's 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 fine to really good at points. Like, I, mm. I don't... I've Like, I've never really got, like, listened to Back to Black. Like, it's constantly on my list of things to listen to and I never get round to it. I think, again, it comes from people's perception of her because everyone goes on about how great she was and how she changed music and how she was going to be the next big thing before she died. And I hear her the stuff and I, I just don't get it at all. I, I don't see how she's any different from any other tortured singer. <laughs> 
I don't know where to go with that. <laughs> I mean, obviously what happened to her was horrific and the circumstances under which she died were tragic, but I just don't get her. I'm sorry. I, I, it's just not my sort of... I, no, not even not my sort of thing. I just don't like her. I would recommend the film, though. Like, the the Amy documentary is fantastic. Oh, uh, okay. Maybe that will change my mind. <laughs> I don't think it will, but we can try. <laughs> okay. So what's your second one? My... It's, this is just so predictable from me. My second one uh, is everyone's favourite pseudo-philanthropic Irish rock band, U2. <laughs> They're basically cock rock, aren't they? Uh, I don't. I just would say they're just mediocre rock. I just get Ooh. nothing from them whatsoever, and I think I know exactly where my my hatred started. Is it the um, the BBC charity single "Perfect Day"? <laughs> no, it's not. It is linked to a television channel, though. Um, okay. Because U2's "Beautiful Day" was the theme for ITV's awful Premier League highlights in the <laughs> early two thousands. <laughs> Of course it's football. Of course it's something to do with football. They are just the most standard rock band. I ha- I just have nothing else to say. I think their stadium shows are ridiculous. Um, I, I, pff, why? Um, why do people like them? But they do. Yeah, I, again, I think they're fine. I, I, I don't think I hate them. I think I like enough of their songs to not hate them. But yeah, not in my top bands. And who is your final pick, Jacob, for three acts I don't get? Well, my final pick isn't an act because I couldn't think of a third act. I've gone for an album instead. I hope that's oh, okay. Wow. Is is it the Velvet Underground and Nico? <laughs> no, it's not. It's an album that some people rank amongst again the greatest of all time. But I listened through it recently and it did very little for me. It is Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys. Oh my god. It did nothing for me. I, I think this is it. the end of bad things. <laughs> this is the reaction I thought I was going to get from Winehouse. Um how how much have you sat with it? How much I mean, have you I gave it okay, I listened through to it once. Oh so no. Maybe <laughs> Maybe that's the problem. Obviously I'd heard the singles, but I don't. I don't know. I I thought I'd really like it because it was weird and experimental, and from 1966, one of the best years of music ever. But it just didn't grab me in the way I thought it was going to grab me. For me, it's just a straight up top ten album. Like it's oh it's in my top ten. Yeah. Oh no, I feel really bad now. <laughs> I I won't go into it too much. But how how do you not like this? <laughs> it just. I think again, it suffered from the hype. I listened to it and I just didn't... I thought it was going to change my life, and it didn't. Oh, well, uh, we won't uh, we won't go into that any further, otherwise we'll yeah. end up in an argument, which will go on longer <laughs> than all of our episodes combined currently. Um, my third pick, so it was originally going to be Ed Sheeran, and then I was in the shower the other day, and I remembered someone else that everyone else seems to like that I don't, and that is America's favourite son, Bruce Springsteen. Ooh... Oh, you are going to offend some people with that. I know, that's probably my most controversial one. I just don't, I wow. don't get it at all. I find a lot of the synthesizer sounds he uses just unbearable. Don't like the gravelly voice. Uh, I think Born in the USA is rubbish. The song or the album? 
uh, the song. Obviously, I haven't listened to the album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Um, again, I like enough of his stuff that I would, wouldn't say I hate him. He doesn't appeal to me in the same way that he appeals to somebody maybe 30 years older than me. But I know people who worship him. I've got a friend in his 60s and he loves Springsteen, like adores him. Is so that Spinky? Yeah, that's uh, that's our friend Chris Spinks. Are we going to mention Chris Spinks on the podcast? Well, I, I'll, I will just mention him as far as saying I'm an et- I'm eternally sorry, Chris, that I'm not a Bruce Springsteen fan. <laughs> um, I've just thought of another person in that same sort of boat that I just can't really get behind. Um, Billy Joel, I don't really oh. like. No, no, I'll go to bat for Billy Joel. I love Billy Joel. So there is a brief uh, look at the strange psyches of our musical minds. We're going to get back now to the main focus of this podcast, even though we're 53 minutes into the recording. <laughs> Damn it, this always happens. <laughs> I thought this was going to be a short one. How the hell did Lou Reed and Metallica end up collaborating on an over 80 minute long album? Well, it all began at the 25th anniversary of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, where Lou and Metallica performed the song, performed in inverted commas, <laughs> the song Sweet Jane. I really like the song Sweet Jane. It's one of my favourite Velvet Underground songs. So hearing this version uh, made me think, made me reconsider a lot of my life decisions. Now, I can't work out whether Lou is intentionally not keeping rhythm, the, the, the rhythm with what he should be doing with the vocals, or whether he just is so old by this point that he just can't keep up with the instrumentation. <laughs> Well, what year was this? Because I don't think he was that old. He's not like... He wasn't decrepit old, was he? I think he was probably in his mid to late 60s, but considering the amount of things that he'd put into his body, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if he was really struggling at this point. Yeah, I think he was 72 when he died, 71. I don't know how he lived that long. <laughs> it's a mystery, isn't it? It's the old Keith Richards mystery. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Elton John paradox. So they finish off the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, they get quite chummy um, and they start kicking some ideas around. Lou kind of says to them, look, I've got these, these t- obviously like any artist when they get to the latter part of their life, I've got loads of unreleased cuts that I wouldn't mind getting out of the way. Could you guys give them some real thwack? Um, and so they, they end up coming across a set of songs. <laughs> How, I, I don't, uh, Lou Reed must have picked, he must have picked this up from his time in Berlin, because I know he spent a lot of time in Berlin. They come across a set of songs by a German playwright, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, Frank Wedekind. Is that right? I'll give you points for the accent. That was okay. good. But I have absolutely no idea. Um, I did some research on Frank Wedekind, because I know you didn't. <laughs> Is he an absolute rogan? Uh, yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. Had a lot of problems with drugs, had a lot of problems with sex. Uh, his work is very sadistic, uh, in some places very homoerotic, which is interesting. Um, something I thought you might enjoy hearing is that uh, Frank Vedekind grew up in a castle, because I know that you love castles. <laughs> 
Do you like love castles? Do you love castles? Are you Frank Vedekind? So basically, Frank Vedekind, he's a 19th century Lou Reed, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not really a big fan of Frank Vedekind's first album. BDSM lyrics, sexual repression. It's all it's all coming together <laughs> Substance now. Substance abuse, yeah, it's all making sense. So that play serves as a, a very loose concept for the album Lulu. And then they get into the actual recording process, which turns into <laughs> turns into a very raw and back to basics affair, mostly live cuts on-the-spot collaborations, on-the-spot lyrics, not to mention the fact that there were points where the chums ended up arguing, it turned a bit spiky. What was it that Lars Ulrich said about the recording (laughs) sessions with Lou Reed? I have a direct quote from Metallica drummer Lars Ulrich here. I had to point something out about how things were functioning in the outside world. What does that mean? (laughs) It means that Lou Reed was completely out of touch. Definitely a racist. Oh, oh, 100%. 100%. Can we say that? Uh, is is that defamation? Probably defamation. Okay, no, we can't say it for sure. But he, Lou Reed was an old man who released a song called I Want to Be Black. <laughs> Wake up, sheeple. <laughs> Put two oh, and two God. together. This is the best part of the podcast so far. (laughs) Going back to the quote, I had to point out some things about how things were functioning in the outside world, and he, Lou Reed, got hot and bothered. He challenged me to a street fight. (laughs) Which... Which is a pretty daunting proposition because he's an expert in martial arts and is never too far from a sword. Is he just sourcing swords from out of nowhere? (laughs) What do you mean? Who's what? A sword is not something that people should never be far from. You're never too far from, I don't know, a coffee cup or <laughs> a mobile phone or your wallet. Not a sword. When Lars said he didn't know how the outside world functioned, I didn't think he meant he was trapped in the 13th century. <laughs> and is a samurai. <laughs> yeah. Where did Lou find time to learn martial arts? He's got such a massive discography and so much shit. Where did he find time? I mean, taking drugs takes a lot of time up, so I don't know how he managed to get anything done, but apparently so. Apparently he was a martial arts expert and a samurai. I think we need to remember this quote as a possible video for our uh, social media (laughs) platforms. Can I pose a question to you, Nathan Packham? Yes, if you had to put Lou Reed against Lars Ulrich in a street fight, who do you think would win? I mean, Lou Reed is one of the most fucked up people I've ever looked up. So yeah. I'm absolutely going for Lou Reed. He is a primal being. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his body is weak, but his will is strong. He'd fight scrappily. He'd claw your eyes. He'd pull your hair. He'd get a fucking sword out. He wouldn't go down easy. Has Lars Ulrich got any skeletons in the closet or is he just a very good drummer? What's his What's his deal? People don't really like his drumming. People think he's really boring as a drummer. I don't think he's that bad. But yeah, he's just a, a pretty happy guy who just loves being in Metallica. So he's, he's basically a Meg White uh, in his late 50s <laughs> is what you're saying. <laughs> no one's ever compared Lars Ulrich to Meg White before. <laughs> Can we play some White Stripes now for the Lars? <laughs> <laughs> Ringling of my doorbell. Uh, when you go to ring it?
can I read you before we get into this the iTunes description of Lulu as an album? You can indeed. Why not? I track this down. Lulu is a story of a young woman who's seen quite a bit. (laughs) Originally conceived as a Berlin theatre production by avant-garde director Robert Wilson, Lulu is an interesting collaboration between two iconoclasts, Lou Reed and Metallica. It's more in line with the Lou Reed album. He narrates and sings most of the material here, debatable, with Metallica's James Hetfield providing backing vocals and occasional lead vocal relief. Relief being the the operative word. And they talk a bit about some of the songs in the description but i'll get to that when we get to the songs but the final line is lulu is closer in spirit to reed's velvet underground days than anything metallica have attempted so at no point in this review do they say anything actually positive about the album it's closer in spirit to a festering dead body (laughs) (laughs) the festering dead body coming soon to itunes The first track, in case you didn't know from everything we've discussed with the absolutely fucked up Frank Vedekind, uh, <laughs> this album's is going to be set in Germany. So let's take a cliche walk through Berlin and straight through the Brandenburg Gate. It made me dream of Nosferatu, trapped on the Isle of Dr. Moreau. Oh, wouldn't it be lovely? So the the Brandenburg Gate opens with this sort of Latin Spanish guitar and then just like it's somewhere along the line that just doesn't exist anymore and we've got the like usual Metallica instrumentation going on and then the absolute craziest opening lyrics I've ever heard <laughs> in my life okay so I knew a little bit about Lulu before we listened to this and my housemate who is a musician and a lover of avant-garde shit warned me about this line when he told me, I couldn't quite believe that this was actually a line that had been committed to recording. But it came in, and not only could I not believe it was a line, I couldn't believe that it was the first line on the whole album. <laughs> Do you want to um, say it? Can I Can I try and recite it in my best Lou Reed impression? Because we might as well get them out of the way now. Okay. Uh-huh. I would cut my legs and tits off when I think of Boris Karloff and Kinski. I would cut my legs and tits off when I think of Boris Karloff and Kinski. I would cut my legs and tits off. (laughs) Have you never done that thinking of Boris Karloff? (laughs) Have you ever thought of Boris Karloff? No, I thought more about Boris Karloff listening to this album than I have done in the entire rest of my life put together (laughs) the opening lyric is just ridiculous (laughs) what does it mean (laughs) I think maybe Lulu has a sort of sexual fantasy about various (laughs) non sequitur pop culture figures (laughs) because if this album is set in the 19th century Boris Karloff isn't alive yet 
Boris oh. Karloff. And then the, the the first verse carries on. We get a reference to Nosferatu and then a reference to Dr. Moreau. And I've, I did look this up, but I can't remember who the hell Dr. Moreau is. Dr. Moreau, if I remember correctly, it was a book and also a film about a doctor who lured people to an island and then spliced their DNA with animals. So it ended up with like a weird half-human, half-animal hybrid I'm pretty sure the film version had Marlon Brando in it as well. That's why she cut her legs and tits off so they could be replaced <laughs> by animal body parts. If you had to be morphed into a half-human, half-animal blend, what would you go for? Well, my favourite animal is the red panda, so I'm going to say red panda. Oh, that'd be great. People would love you. People would give you loads of free stuff. They'd pet you. Because you're really cute. Yeah, oh, that's a good choice. And then when they pet me, I'd beat the shit out of them because I'm a wild <laughs> animal and leave me alone. You'd grab a sword, you'd challenge them to a street fight. Cut their legs and tits off. <laughs> uh, and what is your spirit animal for this weird DNA merger? <laughs> My weird DNA merger? Uh, I would probably go for something like a bat or a vulture so I could fly away from this terrible album. That is a superb, superb way to link everything we've just discussed together. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and it just gets more bizarre. Um, so, yeah, an opening clusterfuck of cultural references. And then here comes James Hetfield in all his glory. Um, Jacob, let's hear your best James Hetfield impression for, <laughs> for his uh, backing vocals on this track. I'm going to back away from the microphone. I may even, I may even stand up. Hold on. <laughs> Small town girl. <laughs> He says that about 400 times. Oh, it's one of the problems with this album is the repeating lyrics. Um... When they say in the iTunes review that Metallica do the backing vocals, they're not kidding because James Hetfield is barely on this album. Mercifully. <laughs> <laughs> Look, he's better than Lou fucking Reed. Lou sounds <laughs> awful on this album. He sounds bad even for Lou Reed. <laughs> Lou takes us through a selection of surreal lyrics that you can't hear very well because his vocals are really low in the mix. That's not a bad um, thing. And then all of a sudden, uh, his vocals pick up and they, much like me on the first episode of Bad Things, they... Uh... You are the Lou Reed of this collaboration to my James Hetfield. The vocals peak and all of a sudden Lou is just like, Brandon Bergay! <laughs> It's not as bad as some of the other tracks, but his intonation is all over the place. <laughs> Has he ever spoken English before? Because <laughs> it's all over the place. I rarely talk about intonation with music, but like that's the only thing to talk about with Lou Reed, is the strangeness of his intonation. Yeah, he says words in ways that I've never heard any human being say words before. Oh, um, despite all of this, it's probably my favourite track. I can't believe this. This is in the... How is this your favourite? How? How is this your favourite? This is bollocks. Because it's not boring. <laughs> I can't believe it. I mean, uh, we'll talk about... Um, there were a couple of tracks I didn't mind on this. I wouldn't think I like any of them, but... Oh, 
God, this one is uh, what a way to what a way to open up the album as well. Like <laughs> fucking hell. And we move swiftly into the most memeable song on this album. <laughs> the second track, uh, known as The View. I have no morals, I'm thinking me cheap. And someone who despises the normalcy of heartbreak, the purity of love. But I worship the young and just formed angel. Who sits upon the pin of lust, everything else. Jacob, this was the only single from this album, uh, and you can see where the negative backlash started uh, regarding this collaboration, if this was the first thing that people heard. How was this a single? How? There is a um, song on here that, that would be a much better single. I will get to that in a second. But did the only you know, actual song. <laughs> yes. Did you know that the music video for this single was directed by Darren Aronofsky? I did know that because I, I, did, I saw that when I was researching and I was like, oh, it's going to be like really weird and arty. And it's just some black and white rehearsal footage. It's just a studio video. Why did they need Darren Aronofsky for that? To get the correct black and white filter, I think, because that's what he's known for, isn't he? It's like he loves his black and white stuff. So they got Darren Aronofsky in to white balance the camera. <laughs> I think, yeah, and then it. Well, to be fair, the, Lou Reed is a guy who put Andy Warhol down as a as a producer on an album because he gave him a painting of a banana. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all missed a trick not working for Lou Reed. He'll give money to anybody. I think this might be the opening lyric again here, and I was like, oh my god, where is he going with this? And I ended up quite liking it, but the <laughs> the lyric is. I want to see your suicide. And I was like, oh my God, what are you going to do here, Lou? And then to be fair, he, he kind of claws it back. He's like, I want to see you give it up, your life of reason, which I quite liked. I think it's a case of monkeys at typewriters with Lou Reed. He throws out so much that there has to be some good in there eventually. <laughs> it has to connect with someone. <laughs> exactly. When he, I think Lou Reed has probably used 90% of every word ever written in English in his songs and <laughs> pronounce them all incorrectly. Uh, but that is nothing compared to the thrash chorus uh, that awaits us. And we will we will just let this play now and then we will give you our reaction. I am the view. I am the table. I am the view. I am the table. Jacob, I'm going to need your James Hetfield impression again, I think. Um, I'm going to stand back up. Do you want the whole thing? or? Um, we, we've got to get the line in about the uh, the household item. Um, that's, uh... <laughs> I am the root. I am the progress. I am the aggressor. I am the table. That was <laughs> delightful. That's all I can. That's all I can muster. Really, we've got another. We, we've still got to do the rest of the podcast. When he says, "I am the tablet," I didn't think of a stone tablet. I thought of an iPad.
That really tickled me. <laughs> this this is horrible. <laughs> I this... will connect to the cloud. <laughs> I will store your files and pictures. I am the update. <laughs> <laughs> I am iOS 9. <laughs> Oh God! Do you want? Should we go through some of the other things that uh, James Hetfield is? Yes, let's do it. Yeah, he is. He's the root, the progress, the aggressor, the tablet, the table, the view, and the ten stories. Is this got some sort of biblical reference or something? I think I vaguely read something like that. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> and don't forget that he also is. I am. I am. I am. Oh I am. yeah, he's, oh, he's he screams. <laughs> I am. So many times. I've just put in my notes, my last note on this song is, what was that song for? What was the point? You're closer connected to rock music, and if you're saying that, then I am also I also have every valid reason to say that I find this bit horrible. I got to the end of a lot of the songs on this album, and I just felt like I'd been in a weird trance for most of it, because... I knew things were happening, but none of it mattered. None of it meant anything. It takes quite a lot of effort to remember which song is which as well. Oh, they all blur it. I'm amazed I can remember, and we're only two songs in. <laughs> so let's get to song three. Oh, uh, God. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is, this, this is ridiculous. <laughs> let's listen to uh, Pumpin' Blood. Jack! Jack! Jack, I beseech you. I call out your name. Blood in the foyer of the bathroom. The tea room, the kitchen, and knives played. I swallow. Your shop is cut like a colored man's dick. Blood spurting from me. Blood spurting from me. Oh, Jack. Oh, Jack. I beseech you. In the end, it was an ordinary heart. In the end, it was an ordinary heart. Pumping blood. So we start off with the most cliche metal march you could imagine. The song title is repeated a gazillion times with various, I'm going to say that word again, intonations. (laughs) Um, Pumping blood. (laughs) And that's without even talking about the obvious racism in this song. Oh my god. Who's saying it, Jacob? Which one of us is is doing this? Look, I said the line about fucking the Jews in, in I Want to Be Black, so I'm already gone. This is a quote. This is Lou Reed. One of the lines is, I will swallow your sharpest cutter like a coloured man's dick, blood spurting from me. Oh, this is so wrong. What does that even mean? (laughs) This is another example of Lou trying to be edgy. And I hate it when people do it. I hate it when they're like, oh, yeah, we can use words like that because, you know, fuck censorship and... This is my artistic expression, man. No, it's just you using a word that you know you shouldn't be using because you can and you think it's clever. And it it pisses me off so much, not just because it's racist, but because it's stupid. <laughs> it's not even clever racism. Oh, um, I have absolutely nothing else to say about pumping blood. <laughs> well, I've... <laughs> that my This is probably the... <laughs> Probably the song I took the most notes on. Oh, really? Yeah. 
Yeah, well, the first note is this song is seven minutes long. Yep, ongoing theme. Because, it, it, yeah, it's, that's not even the longest. That's probably in the lower half of the, the length of songs. What do you think about long songs? Well, that is totally based on the concept. I mean, you've listened, like, I've basically forced you to listen to loads of my, my playlists, and a lot of the songs can stretch from, you know, seven to 15 minutes. Um, <laughs> but it's all dependent on the quality of the content. If you've got, like, a 12-inch disco song and the groove is strong enough, then yeah, far away. If you're talking about a your if you're talking about a coloured man's dick spurting blood, <laughs> then please end the song right now. <laughs> That's a very good point. Yeah, no, I th- you're right. I, I I am a lover of long songs. I think that when a song deserves it, I don't mind if it goes seven or eight minutes. I wouldn't go much longer than that. I don't think, but. Yeah, I, I, this is, this was a, a trial to get through. I got huge spoken word poetry vibes from this song. Is this Lou Reed, the inventor of slam poetry? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, I think it might be. I went to a slam poetry event recently, and one of the poems, uh, a girl talked about salt coming out of her nipples. <laughs> At least she hadn't had her legs and tits cut off by Boris, <laughs> for Boris Karloff. That leads us into track four. This is one of the ones I'm slightly more behind than the others, just because the darkness of it isn't so ridiculous. Uh, well, actually, it is really fucking ridiculous, but uh, it's less racist. Uh, probably <laughs> the best way to explain it. Um, this is Mistress Dread. Let me follow in your footsteps Let me follow In your sight Let me follow It's interesting that I like this one because there's some serious thrash going on uh, Lou, Lou is not exactly high in the mix. It, it actually sounds like you know when you go to a concert and you're chatting to a friend and you're trying to talk over the music. That's what it sounds like. It, the, his singing does not match the music at all. <laughs> it's it sounds like two completely separate things just laid over each other. It reminded me, and I don't know whether you've heard this or not. Do you remember Christopher Lee did an album where he read? poetry over metal music i was going to bring this album up but i can't remember why but it certainly does remind me of that and i can't remember which track it was but yeah absolutely that that christopher lee stuff where he's like i shed the blood of saxon men Yeah, I had to listen to some of that before we started recording. It's it's actually not bad. At least the sexual encounter in Mr. Dredd seems to be a consensual one this time. A bit. Oh, there's a there's a horrible lyric in here. <laughs> Shall I get my Lou impression on again? Yeah, do you want to do the lyric about the sticks? Yeah, where where is the... Oh, yes, okay. You are heartless, and I love that. You have no use of me, but I open the sticks, sticky legs I bear, and then insert a fist, an arm, some loose appendage, 
Please open me up. I beg. Your Lou Reed impression sounds a bit like your Miss McGee impression from Beast 2. <laughs> a, a strained American voice. Pumping blood. blood. Yeah, there's a lot of imagery of violent love. Again, it's just not very clever. It's it's classic Lou Reed, sort of deeply psychosexual, deeply ag- aggressive and uncomfortable. I wasn't a fan. I didn't like this one. I think this is one of my favourites, but obviously, like, when we're talking about favourites, you seriously need to dumb down the level that we're talking about here. This is not perfect day, let's say that. <laughs> this isn't even Walk on the Wild Side. Can we talk about an actual song? Yes, finally. My God, it's a song with a hook. Let's have a listen to Iced Honey. is not that good. Iced Honey. If you can't put a butterfly in a jar, if violence marks your final hour. It's a standard structure, finally. Hey, this is one of the songs that iTunes mentioned in their description. They described it as the most accessible song on the album. <laughs> well, they nailed it. Yeah, that's the most accurate thing they said. There's actual rhyming couplets. It's almost a pop song, nearly. Yeah, no, it's... it's He he rhymes, it's got a rhythm. Some of the lyrics are okay. I'm never offended at any point during the song. <laughs> this, is the, this is the best one on the album for me. Okay. Um, even with the ridiculous background vocals of James Hetfield. Oh, that's honey! The end refrain that's like, See if the ice will melt for you! <laughs> there are a couple of words that you pick up on James Hetfield saying really weirdly as a Metallica fan. He says, yeah, really weirdly. He's got that sort of Rick Astley thing going on with this, like that kind of thing. So you've compared Lars Ulrich to Meg White and now James Hetfield to... <laughs> Rick Astley. And I 100% would rather listen to Rick Astley than Metallica. <laughs> I'm just saying that now. Iced Honey is decent. Uh, if only Lou Reed could keep up with the uh, rhythm of the song. That's my main gripe. <laughs> yes. Another classic bit of Lou intonation. Uh, the line where he sings about pouring jam onto a piece of charbroiled lamb. He says jam really weirdly. Jam. Jam. <laughs> oh, that was worth it. That was so worth it. Iced Honey then leads into a song called Cheat On Me, uh, which is a song I've written the least amount about in the uh, episode script. Kind of warped synths at the start, like a welcoming but haunting sound. Mm. It's a pleasant intro. It goes on too long, like everything does. This song is 11 minutes. Why do you cheat on me? Why do I cheat on thee? Why do I cheat? I will say, didn't mind this. How? If it had been a bit shorter, I I think this could be my favourite. I quite like some of the lyrics are actually pretty good. Why do I cheat on myself because I have nobody else? It's, it's, there's, some, there's something there. There's a nugget of something clever there. But if you want that kind of lyric, surely you just listen to Beyonce and Jack White doing... Uh, what is it? Is it called Hurt Yourself? I can't remember what it's called. I think it's called Hurt Yourself. I can't remember. 
Anyway, we could play. That's another White Stripes reference that we've had today. <laughs> are you on their payroll? I'm not on their payroll, thankfully, because most of their songs are quite similar. <laughs> There's a bit at about eight minutes in where Lou goes, why, really loudly, and it just made me laugh. Why? Does he peek the microphone? Yeah, he just, yeah, he's like you from episode one. I don't have anything to say. Like, I really wish I had something to say. I don't have anything to say about Cheat On Me. Do you want to move on, or have you got some more stuff that you want to mention about this song? I don't know. I, 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 like I said, I think maybe because everything else was just so weird, this was a bit of a palate cleanser because it was fairly normal. It was boring. I will admit that had this been in isolation, I'd have been very bored of it very quickly. But honestly, getting through this album was such a slog. And I think it's worth mentioning now that both of us had problems with iTunes, with some of the tracks, yes. like that you weren't allowed to play them. So the first three listens... Even then, without maybe three or four tracks, I thought this album was so long. And then I realised that I just hadn't heard some of the songs. It's when you get to the final song, which I won't spoil its length, but it's when you think, oh, I've only got one song left, and you see how long the last song is. (laughs) I listened to everything up to the last song in one go, took a break for a day, and then listened to the last song, because I couldn't face it. Would you therefore say that you experienced a lot of frustration with this uh, album? Ah, he's, he's good. This is why he's on the White Stripes payroll. <laughs> the um, next song's called Frustration. Okay. Should we play it? <laughs> yeah. Frustration. In my lexicon of hate, I see you with your portraiture. Does he love you? Does he love you too? The brush strokes Kiss your breasts and toes I cry icicles in my stein Uh, Yeah, feedback, vague psychedelic noises to start Lou loves the noise, as we know Yeah Um, We get into the same dark, bloody, surreal lyrics But... Thankfully, on this track, we have got some hilarious lyrical content to talk about. (laughs) You love these lyrics, don't you? My favourite lyric on the album, uh, which I'm going to say short and sharply, Spermless like a girl! Spermless like a girl! What is this song about? I... It's, it's some sort of like feeling like emasculated by your marriage to someone. Yeah, because I up until this point in the album, I thought Lou Reed was playing a female character. I thought he was Lulu. Yeah, I I don't know whether he still is Lulu here, and he's like, oh, I want to hurt you. I want to hurt you so much, God. Want to hurt you? I want to cut your legs and tits off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? It, it, it's like, okay, so here's something I should admit to. You know, I put on these pretenses about being a sort of snobby music fan, but a lot of the times I don't like concept albums because I can't follow them. I totally agree. I thank, find oh, concept. Thank God. I find them that, that if you narrow the scope too much, then mm. you find it really hard to write lyrical content. And the rhymes are. Just, I mean, some of those Who albums that people love, those Who concept albums, I just, I just think they're just clunky. Is probably the best way to describe it. Sometimes there are concept albums that go all in and literally just tell a story. There's some really like underground stuff. There's a band called The Proto Men that have a cool concept album. It's very clear what the story is. It's almost like a musical just in sort of an album form. That stuff I don't mind. That's okay. But when you get stuff like American Idiot by Green Day, it's not a concept album. It, I like that album. 
I like. I love that album. It's not a concept album. It may be loosely based around a theme, but there's no, is not a story to it. I can't follow it anyway. And anyone who thinks they can is lying to themselves. <laughs> We're so angry in this recording. <laughs> this album has made me angry. I am angry that I've had to listen to this three times. <laughs> the other uh, lyrical intonation I want to bring up in this song, uh, once again, it involves Lou uh, slightly peeking the microphone again. Uh, but <laughs> the bit where he's just like, marry me, marry me. <laughs> The bit I got for intonation was, I've marked. It comes in at two and a half minutes. Is when he says "fall over." Fall over. Fall over. <laughs> oh, Lou. What was he doing? He's sixty-nine years old at this point. A very apropos age for a man yeah. who loves a <laughs> bit of uh, uh, se- sexual deviancy. Jesus Christ. That track is probably the funniest for me. Oh, the fun the funniest one for me is coming is coming in a minute. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. It's not this next track, it's the one after. <laughs> we, we lead into uh the unbearably long little dog. <laughs> oh god's sake. How long is little dog? Is it even that long? I don't I can't remember. Little dog is 8 minutes long. How what is can happening? Can I read you? Can I read you a quote about Little Dog? Yes. From the the much lauded iTunes description of this album. <laughs> yes. Deliberately squeamish moments are played up for maximum impact, but it's the music's strange ugliness in spots. <laughs> in brackets, Little Dog makes efficient use of Reed's old man angry bitterness. Close brackets. <laughs> That make this an uncompromising triumph. Worth remembering that obviously iTunes is trying to sell the content that they're putting (laughs) on their platform. So that's probably why that part of the description was there. The words uncompromising and triumph did not come to me at any point during any of the listens. Uh, Well, I mean, it is uncompromising, but in the worst way possible. Little dog who can't get in. Morning at the bedside, morning from each of them. Little dog who can't get in. Can only cry, but cannot swim. I liked the opening here. Um, the tale of an actual or probably metaphorical dog who's actually a human. Um, like a horrible but uh, really uh, bright image of someone moaning from every li- each limb, I should mm. say. Um, quite like that. And then it just descends into shite. Uh, we get <laughs> dicks again. Obviously we get dicks. This album is just dicks. So many dicks. So it's... many dicks. And not in a good way. Uh, men feeling unworthy unless they're wealthy. Women going for guys with money. And then we, we get the lyric about sniffing your shit in the wind because you're a dog. While you sniff your shit in the wind. Sniff your shit in the wind. The, the whole metaphor of like, oh, dog means bitch and... and... 
it, it's just lazy. It, I've come back to metaphors again, as I often do on this podcast, and it's just not clever. It's just sad, really. It's it's almost it's like something a teenager would write. Oh, sorry, I was just laughing there because I was reading about the lyrics for the next track. <laughs> can we just go there, like? Because no, can I raise one lyric on um, Little Dog before we mix up? Miss, of uh... course you can. Yeah. Okay. As long as you can raise that little doggy face to a cold-hearted pussy, you could have a taste. <laughs> it's just juvenile. Uh, it's... I'm so bored. I'm so bored. Oh, and there's still two songs left. A total about 29 minutes yeah. when you, do, you add them both up God. as well. Uh, let's go to Dragon, uh, which Jacob finds absolutely hilarious. The fingertips run through your hair. A feeling heartbeat. Feeling, feeling, oh, oh, oh. What a glorious feeling to be so rejected. So rejected. An idiot citizen might care for you. You think I'm a, a cook? Or a table you can rest your fucking feet on when you're able to taste your... So this one's 11 minutes. Yep, this is 11 minutes long. Another one, if you're counting at home. This is my favourite song on the album because it makes me laugh uncontrollably every time I hear it. <laughs> it's the bit where we're like a minute in and he just goes, Hallucination! Hallucination! <laughs> I was so dumb by this point. I I love hallucination. I love how there's various intonations, and then he suddenly gets all like sort of casual and angry about stuff. Oh, um, God, because Reed. he he's like, "You think I'm a book or a table? You can rest your fucking feet on." <laughs> he's literally he's literally Grandpa Simpson. He's just ranting about nothing. And then, obviously, this references to vaginas. That's the next thing we get. The hair on your shoulders, the smell of your armpit, the taste of your vulva and everything on it. (laughs) (laughs) Is is there an STI present? What is he referring to? Yeah, his name's Lou Reed. Oh, God. Oh, even remembering this album is tiring. I'm so tired. This is the shortest recording session we've ever done, and I'm exhausted. Let's do it. The final track. Fucking hell. Junior Dad, aka Junior Fucking Dad. It's 18 minutes long. We'll just give you 20 or 30 seconds of it now. Drop the mental bullet Would you pull me by the arm up Would you still kiss my lips If I just fuck off like <laughs> <laughs> Yes 
<laughs> Can we just leave it there? Uh, fuck off. <laughs> no, we have to talk about it. It's our, our semi-hobby. We're almost there. Can I give you one more extract from the iTunes description? Yes. Okay, this is about a couple of songs. Cheat on me, Dragon, and Junior Dad all deserve their epic lengths. <laughs> Fuck off. No, they don't. No, they don't. Fuck. <laughs> so, oh, so we get we, we get an orchestral <laughs> intro. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't comprehend this song. <laughs> This is awful. He opens up with like some Alaskan throat singing. Or something. He's just there like, uh. I mean, we could talk about the lyrical content. There isn't any. The same shit. <laughs> there isn't any content. Um, we, we're 70 minutes in, I don't care, and then the song ends, and we get like, I think I timed it at around 8 minutes yeah. of orchestral droning at the end of this song. My voice is cracking up because I just don't care. And the worst part about this is that there's this really emotional story behind the recording process of this song. Basically, uh, Hetfield and Kirk Hammett ended up crying during the recording of this this song because Hetfield's father had abandoned him when he was a child and Hammett's dad had died just a month before. I mean, obviously those are just horrendous things, but there's no emotional depth to me to this song. Uh, but obviously, I guess if you're involved in the recording of the music, that might be a different story. Yeah, I mean, like, like you said, we're 70 minutes into the album at this point, which is already too long for a nine-song album. And then you, you find out that this is 20 minutes long. And <laughs> this is... Th- look, this is an album that was made for no one except Lou Reed. This is the most self-indulgent, least... <laughs> Least self-aware album I've ever come across in my life. And this is the the perfect, perfect example of that. A last song that is 20 fucking minutes long and does nothing. Oh, we're such angry people. And can you see why? <laughs> we had to listen to this. Right, that's it. I'm not talking about the actual content of this yeah. album anymore. Yeah. It's shit. Right? <laughs> Is this the worst thing we've reviewed so far? Um, yes, because there's not the humour involved that was involved in uh, Arc Music Factory. Yeah. Um, this is a drudgery of the highest order. This wasn't fun to research this episode. I did not enjoy this at all. Should we, t- should we talk about what the critics thought? Because they weren't kind. Good. So, actually, on Metacritic, this album has a 45 out of 100 rating, which is a lot better than I remember when I first heard about this album. It's a lot, a lot better score than I thought uh, was on Metacritic. And actually, that's partly due to the fact that our favourites, All Music, mm. gave the album a 3 out of 5. That's ridiculous. So... They gave it a three out of five, and what they actually say is, is fairly... I mean, they clearly like the things that we don't like, so I didn't get down the reviewer for this, but um, they had to say... Uh, they said, 
Uh, Lulu sounds like one long, bitter, spiteful rant as Reed pours out gallons of lyrical bile, mostly unfettered by rhyme schemes, and with rare exception, Reed doesn't <laughs> sing here. He, he mutters or shouts or barks, probably like a little yeah. dog, um, like an angry beast. It's, see, this is, again, why I hate this album so much is because I know there are people out there who like it. And those are the sort of people who don't like any pop music, not because they think it's bad, but because it's formulaic or it's conventional. Who They'll just write it off instantly. And as soon as anything is different, they'll be like, oh, this is great. But just because something is different does not mean it's good. That's a good way to link to the Pitchfork review, where they're, they're actually on point this time. They gave the album 1.0 out of 10. And... It, Talk, talking about difference, they have to say, for all the hilarity that ought to ensue here, this is by no means a funny <laughs> album. Lulu is a frustratingly noble failure, audacious to the extreme, but exhaustingly tedious as a result. Its few interesting ideas are stretched out beyond the point of utility and pounded into submission, probably like the way Lou Reed defeats his opponents <laughs> in his uh, mixed martial arts. That is exactly how I feel. Ambitious. Yeah, I'll give it that, and could have worked if it wasn't in the hands of a 69-year-old drug-addled maniac. Are you shocked to hear that David Bowie liked this album? He thought this was Lou Reed's best project ever. <sighs> no, not in the slightest. And w- what did Lou himself have to say? <laughs> He's so- such a bitter man. <laughs> I don't have any fans left. <laughs> <laughs> Good. After Metal Machine music, they all fled. Who cares? I'm essentially in this for the fun of it. And you know what? Uh, Maybe he is self-aware. Maybe he's more self-aware than I gave him credit for. I don't know what's fun about this album, but fair enough, Lou, if that's your opinion on it. He got to hang out with Metallica. He He got to wield his sword. You know, he had a good time. This was his last major uh, musical collaboration, his last major project, and eventually he succumbed to liver disease in 2013 after years of pounding his body with substances um, and somehow getting away with it. Um, It was eventually liver disease which killed Lou Reed. Yeah, I was going to say that it's sad that this is the last project he did before he died, but I don't think it is because he was such a weird guy and had such a varied career And obviously liked it. I don't think he would have cared that he went out on something that people didn't like. I think in a way it's it's almost noble if it didn't make me so angry. I have a fear as well that we may have um, some retrospective reviews on this album which are far more positive than the the initial reviews Mm, were. Yeah, no, well, he'll get sort of canonised a little bit because he's dead. Not necessarily because he's dead, but because it's such a smack in the face that people probably weren't able at the actual time of the release to consume it in the way that they consume a lot of music. So I can see there being retrospective reviews that are going to be a lot more positive about uh, Lulu going forward. Mm. Um, But Jacob, what did Metallica get up to after the uh, Lulu recording sessions had ended? Well, they took a bit of a break and they came back in 2016 with uh, a new album called Hardwire to Self-Destruct. And what do you make of that? Is it it all right? Well, this is the album that I saw Metallica tour with. And they played a lot of stuff off of it, which I hadn't really heard. So I was a bit annoyed for that reason. But it's okay. It sort of harks back to the thrash days, which isn't my sort of Metallica. But it's not bad. It's better than Lulu. Let's put it like that. (laughs) 
we got pretty positive reviews, but yeah. uh, there's Jacob, uh, <laughs> not such a big fan of it there. I'm struggling to remember a lot of the songs off of it, to be honest. There's a song called Spit Out the Bone, which I didn't mind. And this, the higher title track is okay, if you like that sort of thing. But... It's it's a bit too thrashy for my liking. Okay, let's let's move on and we'll we'll finish up we'll finish up with Lulu uh, by we'll have a nice but delusional quote <laughs> from uh, Lars Ulrich uh, talking who talked after Reed's death about the album. He said, "I played the record for my kids yesterday in the car and it sounded as relevant and more intense than ever. It sounded incredibly potent, very alive and impulsive." Nothing was thought about, nothing was laboured over, nothing was dissected or analysed. In some ways, it's almost cooler that people didn't embrace it, because it makes it more ours. It's our project, our record, and this was never made for the masses, and the masses didn't take to it. It makes it more precious for those who were involved. I mean, I guess he's more qualified to say that than we are, because he was involved. But at the end of the day, it was still released, and you could still buy it, and people did. So, kind of was made for the masses. And they absolutely shat on it, just like we have now. <laughs> I, am not, I am not apologetic in the slightest. This was by far and away the worst thing that we've reviewed for this, in my opinion. I'm never, ever listening to it ever again. But in a way, I'm quite glad I experienced it, because if I can survive this, I can survive anything that this podcast throws at me. <laughs> I um, I was looking at my because you know, I do loads of uh, ratings on this website called Album of the Year because I love uh, obviously uh, compartmentalizing all aspects of my life, <laughs> um, and this album is one of my worst reviewed non avant garde albums. Or maybe it is an avant garde album. I don't Who's know. To say, yeah. But yeah, this has got a very bad review on my album of the year. So I'm absolutely delighted that apart from listening back to our recording here, I'm never, ever going to have to listen to this ever again. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I would even recommend this to somebody as a joke. It's not even so bad, it's good. It's just bad. Basically, once you've heard the Nosferatu line and the Karloff line, (laughs) then there's no point in listening to the rest of this. Well, farewell to Lulu. Um... We, we hope you somehow uh, get some enjoyment from our analysis of this ill-judged venture uh, that was Lulu. Next up, it's we're definitely heading back to more humorous territory. It's our first foray into the land of TV, and we're going regal as we watch 2014's I Want to Marry Harry. Jacob, have you seen any of this so far? Is there any sort of preview you can give as you'll be uh, manning the ship for this episode? No, I haven't started on this yet. I wanted to get Lulu out of the way before I consumed anything else. But essentially, all you'll need to know is that there's 12 American women who think they're trying to win a date with Prince Harry. But because of course it isn't, it's not Prince Harry. They don't know that, though. And that's where the hilarity ensues. And it was cancelled after two episodes. (laughs) I think we're both planning on watching all eight episodes for this, aren't Mm. we? Yeah. Uh, they're all on YouTube, unsurprisingly. <laughs> Shockingly that copyright hasn't caught up with that. <laughs> Nobody wants this. But there is something worth mentioning. We're going to be leaving it up to you, the Bad Things listeners, to decide what our topic is going to be for episode five. Now, uh, obviously, we will have done TV for episode four. So episode five will be a music-based episode. We've got four absolute stinkers lined up for you, um, <laughs> which should be more fun to listen to than Lulu has been. First up we uh we are 
looking at the sequel to Robin Thicke's Blurred Lines album, simply entitled Paula. The reason we've chosen this is because it got awful reviews and also it only sold just over 500 copies in its first week of sale in the UK. That is amazing. Only 500. After the success of Blurred Lines. Yeah, and also we weren't fully into the people only listen to streaming era then. We were very close to it, but um, it was still uh, very much available on CD. Second up is Britney Spears' ex-spouse, Kevin Fedline, who, off the back of his marriage to Britney Spears, was able to secure a recording contract as a quote-unquote rapper. (laughs) He released an album in the mid-2000s called Playing With Fire, which is one of the worst-reviewed albums of all time. Uh, Jacob, do you know much about uh, K-Fed, as he's affectionately known? Uh, I know that he was on an episode of WWE Raw once where he beat John Cena in a wrestling match. Yes, we might have to play in some audio from that episode of Raw when we, uh, (laughs) if we do end up doing Playing With Fire. Third on the list, which we're going to do at some point anyway, and I have a feeling it could be very much a favourite to win this poll. It's an episode that we're calling Louis Boys. (laughs) Which... which is a reference to uh, the X Factor judge, Louis Walsh, who has always been fairly guarded about his personal life. This episode will focus on three of Louis's acts throughout uh, his time on the X Factor. We're going to be looking at Wagner, who is my favourite ever X Factor contestant, <laughs> mainly for what he's done for what he's done after the X Factor. There's going to be loads of uh, Facebook clips we can bring in there. Uh, secondly, we're going to be talking about a man that a lot of people called Eogan Quigg before they realised that he was called Owen Quigg. <laughs> and also, we have to reference everyone's favourite slash least favourite Irish twin duo, Jedward. And for that recording session, I may even try and spike up my minimal hair uh, just as a tribute <laughs> to... Uh, Jedward, who are two of the strangest men to ever be christened celebrities. And then fourth on the list is an album I first saw an advert for in West Drayton train station in West London. <laughs> it is um... Nick Knowles's the yes, Nick Knowles, the presenter of DIY SOS. He released a sort of acoustic-based covers album for the Christmas market, which is the worst market in the music industry, uh, and it's called Every Kind of People. Now, why it's called that, we'll get into on the episode. I actually, there's probably no reason for it, but we're going to delve deep into the research and try and find out. But having heard some of this, it is the most horribly digitally recorded acoustic music. Uh, with some utterly bizarre husky vocals from Nick Knowles. Um, Have you heard much of this one, Jacob? I have, actually. And you thought? (laughs) Essentially. (laughs) It stinks. It is horrible. So those are the four that you'll have to choose from. We will be putting out a poll eventually for them. So just to recap, we've got Robin Thicke with the Polar album that sold only 500-something copies in the UK. Second is Kevin Federline with Playing With Fire. Uh, Britney Spears' ex releases a rap album. Third is the Louis Boys concept where we cover Wagner, Eogan Quigg um, and Jedward because they were all Louis Walsh's uh, acts on The X Factor. 
And fourth is Nick Knowles, the presenter of DIY SOS, doing an acoustic album called Every Kind of People. So we will put that poll out when the time is right and you'll have the opportunity to decide what you want to listen to on episode five of this podcast. But Jacob, uh, we're nearly done, but do remind people where they can catch us on the social media channels that we are somehow managing. Well, if you want to vote in that poll when it goes up, you can go to Facebook where you search for Bad Things Podcast. Uh, We're under the title of Bad Things the Podcast on Facebook, so drop us a like uh, where we post a lot of visual content created by our wonderful artist Becky Stolworthy. We've just started, well, We've just started uh, when this album is being recorded. We'll have certainly some more entries when we get to this album being released. Is the Bad Things Hall of Fame in which Becky immortalises some of our favourite characters and some of our favourite people from the episodes in her wonderful art style. And you can see her amazing drawings of the likes of Patrice Wilson and Maxwell Caulfield and probably at some point Lou Reed on our Facebook page. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter. We're both of those things at Bad Things Pod to keep up to date with everything going on in the Bad Things universe, as well as getting involved with those all-important polls which you can determine the future of the Bad Things podcast. Yeah, I've been getting into the hashtag on Instagram. It's been absolutely fascinating. (laughs) The hashtags are off the chain. That's it. I'm thoroughly exhausted and delighted to be returning to the real world after this. So thank you for listening to uh, this episode on Lulu by Lou Reed and Metallica. Jacob, thanks so much uh, for your insights uh, into this absolute drudgery. Um, I hope you got some sort of enjoyment out of it. Uh, that remains to be seen I'm going to have to edit this so well that's all from us Um, so all that's left to say uh, from me and Jacob is farewell you absolute spermless girls 